Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis. I'll give you a warning. It's a great passage. It's also quite lengthy. So if you would, we don't have scripture sheets this morning. There are Bibles under the front of the chairs, uh, I think in front of each section there. If you would, turn to page 21, which is Genesis chapter 27. We'll be reading all of chapter 27 and the first five verses of chapter 28. Let me give you just a moment to pull out the what we'll call the Pew Bibles, and then we'll be turning to our New Testament reading out of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and then verses 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal son. So if you would, please follow along. This is, this is These are great passages here. I'm going to begin with the Old Testament reading, again found on page 21 of the Pew Bibles, Genesis 27 through chapter 28, verse 5. It's entitled, Jacob Gets Isaac's Blessing. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food, and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may 
give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. And he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, that the Lord is blessed. May God give you the heaven's dew of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and have made all of his relatives his servants, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram to the house of your father, uh, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife from yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean. 
the brother of Rebekah, whose mother, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now, if you would turn with me to page 874, which is Luke chapter 15, for our New Testament reading. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and then 11 through 32. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the infallible word of God. Thanks be to God. To your classrooms. Thank you, Justin. Well, over the past few weeks, I've been teaching at the youth group about people's encounters with Jesus. We've looked how Jesus interacts with individuals, primarily in the Gospel of John. And this morning, we'll be looking at Luke 15, and we see Jesus interacting with many different people with the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews who are trained in the law of Moses, 
and also with tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners. How does Jesus interact with these characters? John began this chapter last week, and he said there's a few things that we should notice that I want us to notice again today. He asked us four questions. First, he asked us, who are the lost? Jesus, in these parables, is speaking of salvation and redemption in terms of those who are lost and those who are found. The second question, where is Jesus? The third question, which I'm sure we all remember, is why the party? And the fourth question is where is the church? And these are great questions, and it shows that these three parables in John 15 should be taken together. They should not be separated from one another. And he said these parables, Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees. Yes, he's speaking to the tax collectors and the sinners, but specifically he's speaking to the Pharisees and their grumbling, as we see in verse 2 of chapter 15. He also said that all three parables end in a party. This is where we are going. In this story, the prodigal son, we will end in a party. But our question is, how do we get there? And I'm also going to ask you a different question. Every time I preach a narrative, I'm going to ask you this question. Who are we in the story? Who are you in this story? And what we're going to find out is it's actually going to be harder to answer that question than you first thought. But before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for sustaining us as we slept, for upholding the universe. And we woke up this morning and saw the sun shining. And that should remind us of your faithfulness to us. Lord, we pray for your world that you have created and all of the people and all of the things in it. For you have told us to care for your creation, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we pray for the mission of your church throughout the globe. Bless our missionaries. Lord, hold their families together. Lord, may we respond in giving so that we may fund these missionaries to teach people of the gospel and of your love for them. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon our country. We pray for President Trump, whom you have set as our leader. Lord, have mercy and compassion on him. May he seek your justice and your mercy for all people. Lord, we pray for the church in this country. Its flourishing does not depend upon us, but upon your spirit. Lord, may your spirit awaken and move inside of your church and the gospel be preached from the pulpits. Lord, we pray for our state and our community, for our elected officials, for those who serve and volunteer in our country, or in our state, in our community. Lord, protect them.
May they be a blessing to those around them. Lord, we pray for those at Christ Presbyterian Church. Lord, we pray for our farmers. We pray for our lawyers, for our radio hosts, for our mothers, for our teachers, for those that are retired, for those that are married with children. Lord, we pray that you will bless us so that we may be a blessing to those around us. Lord, Lord, we lift up Mr. Jim and Mr. Billy. We pray for Richard Abernathy. Heal them in their weakness and give them strength through Christ. In Christ's name, amen. In 2013, a video was made called Veterans Day, Soldiers Return Home, to commemorate Veterans Day. And I'm not one to easily talk about my emotions, but this video gets me to tears every single time I watch it. You can ask Jessica. Every time I watch it, I tear up. It begins by showing someone in the armed forces communicating to his family through the computer because he's deployed. His daughters wish him happy birthday. And you can see the longing that they both have because they're separated because he's overseas. But then this video breaks in and goes into a montage of all of these different families being reunited with their family members who serve. It shows a little girl being asked by this woman in front of this large crowd, if you had one wish today, what would it be? And her response, that my daddy would be home. And the woman says to her, turn around. And she screams, Daddy, Daddy, because her daddy is right behind her. And she runs into his arms. It shows a father telling his family that he'll be home soon from a football field jumbotron. And then it shows him at the end of the field, and his family runs to him because they are reunited with him. It shows parents who thought their son was gone, but someone dressed in a catcher's outfit came up to them and took off the catcher's helmet and they realized their son was home. This is the same type of emotion that we need to feel when we read this story. A father and a son are reunited. A father and a son that were separated are brought back together. Luke 15 describes a party. But that's the end of the story. Let's look at how we got to this heavenly celebration. Because what's difficult about this story is that we've all been a part of this story. That's why this story is so popular. Because if you believe in Jesus, you have been a part of the story of the prodigal son. We have played a role and are now playing a role in this story. And as I said earlier, what we'll see today is that we're not as far removed from the story as you might think at first. But what we will see in this story is that the story is for both sons. The Jews, represented by the Pharisees, and the Gentiles, represented by the tax collectors and the sinners. And yes, we will look in the story and I will ask you, which son 
are you? We will look at the younger brother and the older brother. But although this story is two, and this story is for the two sons, this story is not about the two sons. This story is about the love and compassion of the father. Verses 11 through 22 speak of the story of the younger son. He has 11 verses. Verses 23 through 32 are for the elder son. There's nine verses. 17 out of these 21 verses either speaks about the father or has the father speaking. This story is about the compassion and grace of the father. And what we'll see in this parable is that both sons need the same thing. The love of their father. They both needed reconciled. And like both sons, we find ourselves with the same need. We need the compassion of our Heavenly Father. Because our sin has separated us from God, we need His grace to be reunited. We need the grace of God to be reconciled as His sons and daughters. We need saving. And we need our Father to save us. This story, much like the older son and the younger son, is our same story from beginning to end. We need the grace of God. So let us look at these two sons. And we'll first look at the younger son, the prodigal son. And many of us know the story. It's a story about a stubborn sinner asking for his inheritance before his father passes away. This isn't a son going to a father and asking for $10. This is a son saying, I want what's mine. And I don't want a relationship with you anymore. The younger son wanted his. He was uncaring, unremorseful, greedy, stubborn, prideful, unwise, promiscuous. All of these words describe the younger son. And we see in the text, Luke 13 describes his behavior as reckless. The NIV translate that that as wild. The New American Standard translate that as loose. And in verse 33, we see what the prodigal son did with his wealth. He wasted it on prostitutes. Yet it is interesting to observe The father was not obligated to give the younger son his inheritance before he died. He was not obligated to meet his son's request. But the father graciously grants the son's request. And if I have to be honest, this is is going to be a side note for a second. This is one of the hardest things I've had to understand the past few weeks dealing with this passage. I kept finding myself asking, if the father just would have said no, none of this would have happened. Not to put the blame of the actions of the son on the father, but isn't this part of parenting? Knowing when to tell your son who asks for something, no, when it would benefit him the most. None of this would have happened if he just had told the son, no, you can't have your inheritance. Is this parable supposed to be parenting 101? 
Parents, how do we hold this tension? Allowing our children to make good decisions with the gifts that we give them for the desires are flourishing, but also seeing that they have to learn the consequences of their actions. They have to learn the consequences of what their sin causes in their life. How do we give them space to do that? And you might not like this, but I don't have an answer. Not one commentator that I read asks this question of this text. But as I'll do later, I think this question takes us back to the beginning of the story. The overarching story of scripture, the overarching story of human history. And we find ourselves asking the same question in the Garden of Eden. If God knew Adam and Eve, what God, if God knew what Adam and Eve were going to do, why did he allow it to happen that way? Why couldn't he have planned it differently? Why couldn't he have planned all of humanity, all of human history, better? But neither in the beginning in Genesis nor in this story do we have an answer other than so that he could show his compassion for us in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, if you don't like that answer, you're not alone. But the church is the place where we should ask those type of questions. It is the place where we should struggle and have honest conversations about those types of questions. That's the end of my side note. The son asks for his inheritance early, and the father gives him what he does not deserve. And the son spent all of it. The younger son wants to cash it in. He wants out of his father's life. He wants what he can only describe as his freedom. And where does he go? Well, verse 13 tells us, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. A far country. To a place where he would be unknown. To a place where he would be outside the boundaries of his father. He wanted away from his father. Away from his family. Away from his support structures. He wanted a new identity, and he wanted to be identified by himself. And what he was identified as was by his sin. In the men's Bible study over the past year and this fall, Brother Blake has been speaking to us at length about God's law. How does it apply to us today? How are we supposed to use it? What does it mean for us to delight in the law of the Lord? And one key illustration of the proper function of God's law is the illustration of a fence. God's law is like a fence around us, around his people. Just as I have a fence in my backyard that somehow or somewhat keeps my boys safe from what's outside, although it doesn't keep them safe from what's inside, it keeps them safe from what's outside their fence. God gives us his statutes, his laws, to promote safe life 
as long as we stay inside the bounds of his fence. Outside the bounds of his fence, he can no longer protect us from ourselves. Inside his fence, he has shown us what it is to have human flourishing, to live by the law. If you go outside those boundaries, you are on your own. And this is exactly what we see here. The younger son has gone outside the boundaries of his father's protection, and he loses everything. Not only did the younger son lose and squander all of his money and reckless living, as we saw in verse 13, but then there was a famine in verse 14. And then the scene gets worse. The younger son loses his identity. Verse 15. So when he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who set him into his fields to feed pigs. This would have been the most dishonorable job a Jew could think of. A pig was unclean to them. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. The Pharisees must have murmured yet again with this dismay of the thought that this nice Jewish, Jewish boy was now herding Gentile pigs. This would have been the most humiliating and repulsive form of service labor they could think of. The son lost everything. He lost his daily provision. He lost his daily bread. In this story, the younger son is lost. And then we see what looks like true repentance. But let us take a closer look. Look at verse 17 with me. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Newsflash. The younger son is still thinking about himself. I know that's hard to believe. But even in this act of repentance, he's still thinking of himself. Now, not all commentators agree upon that. Some think that this is a true sign of repentance. But let's look closely at what he says in verse 18. I will arise to go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In this proposed plan, he is still telling the father what he should do. He tells the father how he should be treated. And if we look at verse 17, it actually tells us why he wants to go home. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Why does the younger son want to go home? Because he's hungry. He doesn't want to go home to be restored. He wants to go home because he wants food. 
Philip Ryken says, these are the words of someone who is trying to work the system. He is still telling his father what to do, just as he did when he first left home. The younger son is still setting his own terms of what it means to be a son. He is still trying to solve his own problems. This son is still trying to redeem himself. What the younger son doesn't understand is that he doesn't have to do anything. He's already a son. He was confused that what he did meant he had value. But he's not a servant. He doesn't need to be asked to become a servant. He is already a son. At first, this looks like a legitimate repentance, but it's not. He wants to earn what he gets. Treat me as one of your servants. And then we can look at ourselves and we can see that that long list that we described, the prodigal son, can also be words that describe us. Yet even though now we see the flaw in this repentance, I know for me that this type of repentance is what I truly believe in. Do you do this? Maybe it's just me. But we treat God the same way as this younger son. Even after we come through Christ, we know that we our debt has been cleared. We still think that there is something inside of us that can make God love us more. Does that describe you? Are you the younger brother? Is this how you come to God with your sin? When you sin, you come back knowing that he has forgiven you, but there must be something. There must be something else that I can give. Or do you find yourself as a prodigal son that even though you know your father loves you, you still find yourself running away as though you are not his son? Or even yet, do you struggle believing that you are actually a son and daughter through Christ. The story teaches us the gospel, that even though the son planned his own restoration, his father did not receive him because of his plan. His father received him because he was a son. The father loved his son when his son hated him and ran away when he squandered his inheritance, when he was a total failure. And the Father loves us, even when we run away from home. Even when we squander the gifts that he has given us, even when we have become, were, or still are failures. The story of the gospel is that we are received through Christ. And we our heirs, and the Father runs to us. Our Father says to us, just as he said to the prodigal son, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and the crowds went wild. Do you identify with the younger son, or do you identify 
with the older son or elder son. I really struggled on which one it was supposed to be. I probably will say both. As John pointed out last week, this parable of Jesus is primarily to the Pharisees who are represented by the elder son, as we saw in verses 1 through 3. Now, this story is for the elder son. Read with me in verses 25 through 28. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the elder son, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. Why was the elder brother so mad? It's easy for us to see how lost the prodigal son was. But how lost is the elder brother? With these two parables before this one, we found, or something was found, a sheep and a coin. In this parable, a son is found. The celebration should be that much bigger, but yet The son, the elder son, is still mad. But what we see in this story is that even though the party is going on, the story is actually incomplete. Does the elder brother go into the party when he's invited by his father? Or does he stay outside the father's party? And, you know, it was a really good thing that the father saw the younger son first. For if the elder son saw him first, we'd probably have a scene like we read in Genesis 27. And Genesis 27 tells us a story that most of us are used to. Estrangement, contempt, disunity, even inside our own families. Here's how David Gooding describes the older son's attitude. Generosity to a bankrupt but repentant prodigal was to him not an expression of his undeserved wealth as an heir of all that the father had, but the squandering of hard-won earnings, which he could not afford to give away. The elder son's reaction of his own works showed how highly he regarded his own obedience. In his own humble opinion, he had done everything right. Verse 29, we see his answer to his father's request to come to the party. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The elder son wanted his, just as the younger son wanted his. The younger son went outside the boundaries of the father's protection. He broke the boundaries of the law of his protection. And the elder son broke the father's law also. Because he thought he had to do everything right to to receive the love of his father. They both had the same flaw. They didn't understand. They were already sons. The inheritance 
was theirs. And we see here, as we saw with the younger brother, his inheritance is his. Because the father said to him in verse 31, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. In this parable, both sons tell the father what he should do. Yet in this parable, both sons need the same thing, the love and the compassion of their father. In this story, God shows his grace to the stubborn sinner and to the self-righteous Pharisee. He shows his grace to both of them, but in different ways. But he shows them both grace. And notice how the father comes out to each son to express his love in order to bring them in to his own, in his home, to have a party. There is no difference between the older and the younger son. They both need their father's love, and they both need inviting to the party. They both thought they could earn their sonship. Yet the father invited both of them because they were his sons. Now, if we look at our own sins, what this parable is teaching us is that we are separated and estranged from God. It is only by his grace that we are united to him by his son. But as Christians, it's hard for us to come except with our sins, except with this laundry list, and say, as the younger son did, Lord, this is what I did wrong. Please forgive me. It's much harder to come and say, everything that I have done right is not because of my strength, but because of the spirit living inside of me, because I am already a son and daughter of Christ. Anything that we think we do to save us must be laid at the feet of the cross, and we must proclaim that we are only righteous because him who sought us. Why is Jesus telling this story to the Pharisees? Yes, this story is for the two sons, but this story is about the compassion of the father. This is what the story is about. This is what the parable is about. But it is also to move the Pharisees in what they should do. As I said, this story is incomplete. And I think we get our answer of what the Pharisees are supposed to do by looking at the context of all three parables. What's different about these parables? I think Tim Keller gives us a good answer. Jesus knew the Bible thoroughly and knew that at its very beginning it tells a story of another it tells another story of an elder brother and a younger brother, Cain and Abel. In that story, God implicitly tells the resentful, proud, the resentful, proud brother, you are your brother's keeper. When we read from the Old Testament 
another story of two brothers, Genesis 27, of how two brothers should love each other. Yet in this story, Jesus is implicitly telling the elder brother, the Pharisees, what they should be doing. What, what did they do in the first two parables? The shepherd went looking for the sheep. The woman went looking for a lost coin. What should the Pharisees be doing? They should be going out and looking for their younger brother. Showing them compassion. But the Pharisees aren't going to do it. But notice, even though Jesus knows what they're doing, notice the compassion that the father has for the elder brother. Jesus has this same compassion for these Pharisees. As Jesus was telling the stories, his listeners would have left with the implied question, what is the elder son to do now? How is the older brother supposed to respond? And Jesus tells them, you should go looking for your brother. And they didn't. But guess the good news of the gospel? Jesus fulfills what the older brother was supposed to do. He went looking for the lost sheep and the coin, and he found those who were dead and brought them to life. He is the true older brother. He came looking for us. Both of the son's actions provided, both of the son's actions are provided so that we may see how the father reacts with his compassion and his grace. It is the compassion the father felt for the younger son. It is the graceful reminder of the father towards the other son. So my question for us today, which brother are we? The answer is yes. We are both. God came searching for us, and God keeps reminding us that we are his sons. We play both roles. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus by the love and the compassion of our heavenly father. And notice the language in verses 24 and verses 32. The resurrection language. Dare, dare I say the eschatological language. It is the language of being moved from our sins in Adam to being made alive in Christ. This is what we read in the assurance of pardon in Colossians. We have been made alive through the forgiveness of our trespasses. Christ is risen. Christ is alive. This is the good news of the gospel. We did not do anything to deserve the Father's compassion and the Father's love. But it is because Jesus sought us. Jesus had compassion and love. But we aren't left with just the easy, Jesus loves us, let's have a party. But Jesus is asking the Pharisees to do something. The gospel never just tells us what to believe. It tells us what to believe and what we should do. So what should we be doing? Well, now I actually get into the title of the sermon. 
we should be getting in the way of grace. And this isn't getting in the way of grace so that God's grace can't go to other people. But we should be positioning ourselves as the sons and daughters of God to receive God's blessing to us. Then we should be going to our younger brother and bringing them in the way of God's grace too. As Isaac received the blessing of Abraham, what was it? To be a blessing to others. To bring others into the way of God's grace so that God can bless everybody. So whether your story is that you are currently a younger son, or if your story is that you are currently an elder son, you need the same thing, the grace of God. And what Jesus charges us is receive the grace in God and then go out to your and find your younger, younger brothers and bring them in the way of grace. Bring them to hear the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel. Bring them in the way of grace to receive the sacraments of the church. Bring them in the way of grace of receiving prayer and the fellowship of the saints. This parable is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. But this parable should be called the compassionate and gracious Father. Stand in the way of grace. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we know your love only through Jesus Christ. In him we claim our sonship. In him we claim that we are heirs of the inheritance that he has purchased. There is nothing that we bring to the table. Lord, may you encourage us who are wayward sinners that continue to forget that we are not worthy to be called your sons and daughters. And Lord, please be with us that we will not stand in judgment of other sinners who need the same grace that we need. But may we be a blessing to them. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.